Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Renee Jones. After 40 years of dieting, yo-yoing all over the place, Renee had learned every diet and every cheat before finally stopping the comfort and stress eating to shed those last 30 pounds yet again in 2012, but this time she has maintained her goal weight. Now she helps others overcome their emotional eating to shed their weight and keep it off. Renee has a master's in marriage and family counseling and a clinical residency in pastoral care to guide her international coaching practice of traditional and contemporary models, as well as relaxation and horse-assisted methods. Her book, What's Really Eating You? Overcome the Triggers of Comfort Eating, is an Amazon bestseller, and her TEDx talk helps her reach people around the world. In the episode, Renee shares a helpful acronym for stopping emotional eating in its tracks, what to do when you have crazy cravings, seven tips for navigating the holidays, and more. Before we get to the episode, I briefly want to share one of my favorite resources with you, Dry Farm Wines. If you're a wine lover like me, but haven't made the switch to natural wines, you're going to want to listen up because natural wines can honestly change your life. Alcohol manufacturers aren't required to post ingredients or nutrition facts on their bottles, which is how they're able to sneak in sugar and other additives. Fortunately, Dry Farm Wines has come to the rescue. Their natural wines are lab-tested to ensure they're sugar-free, lower in sulfites and alcohol, and also free from other industrial additives. Since I've grown accustomed to drinking natural wine, even the most expensive, top-rated conventional wines can give me headaches and just make me feel overall gross. If you've never tried Dry Farm Wines, you're going to be immediately hooked by the flavor and quality of their products, as well as their top-notch customer service. To get a bottle of Dry Farm Wines for just a penny, visit dryfarmwines.com slash thehealthinvestment, or just click through the link in the show notes. And one more thing, if you've been yo-yo dieting for years, but nothing you've tried has helped you keep the weight off long-term, I'm so happy you're hearing this right now. Outside of hosting this podcast, I help people lose weight for the last time without giving up carbs, counting every calorie, drinking meal replacement shakes, or other unsustainable extremes. Unlike diets, apps, and programs that are one-size-fits-all and only provide short-term results, I help you make evidence-based habit changes and mindset shifts so you can drop those pesky pounds for good, feel completely in control around food, and start showing up as the trimmest, healthiest, most confident, most energized version of yourself. You can learn more about my programs at thehealthinvestment.com, and please don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. I always love hearing from you. All right, let's hear from Renee. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. 
If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Renee. Thank you so much for joining me from Texas today on the Health Investment Podcast. Thanks for having me, Brooke. I am. I was telling you via email, I'm just super excited to dive into this topic of emotional eating because I think everybody can relate to this in some way or another, whether they're conscious of it or maybe not. Um, and I think we've all kind of had points in our life when we felt maybe more confident with our eating pattern versus others. And so I just can't wait to share your tips with my audience. Um, I'd love if you could just share a bit of your background. I know you have a master's in marriage and family counseling. What made you want to pursue, pursue that route? Well, I think um, every counselor begins by wanting to find the what will help them heal their own heart. Hmm. And the more you study, the more you learn. I found it absolutely fascinating. The, the internal workings of the human heart and mind are just amazing. Um, but it was also, you know, sort of um, career-based because I was, I had been working in Wales and I had thought about returning and they said, here's what we need. I was like, right, I'll go get a counseling degree. So that's, that was the practicality of it. Hmm. And then I know we're going to talk a lot about emotional eating today, and I know you kind of struggled with some of it yourself, but I'd love if you could define for us, just in your own words, what is emotional eating and kind of when does that start in someone's life? Well, I believe emotional eating is eating for any reason other than hunger. If you're hungry, you probably do need something to eat, but if you're not, why are you reaching for food? It it serves... A purpose for us. And it can be to relieve boredom or sadness, loneliness, or it can be for joy. You know, we have feasts throughout the year where, you know, you get together and you eat with lots of people and you probably eat more than you want, really. Uh, but it's just so much fun while you're doing it. So, <laughs> so I think it's anything other than hunger. And it starts at birth, Brooke, because if you think about it, when a baby cries, we put something in its mouth, whether it's the bottle or the breast or a pacifier. And then a child grows up and when their pacifier is taken away, they may shift over to the, to their thumbs or as they get older, biting their nails. And then we trade out that pacifier for a donut or pizza. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, when you said emotional eating, I think it's often attached, at least from what I've heard, to more negative emotions. I've never heard anybody say, which is so true, that it's also connected to something like joy or celebrations. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Birthdays, weddings, holidays, all of these things center around food, not necessarily in a bad way, but it's just something to be mindful of. Well, one of the things that I have said for many years now is that even though that five or six week period between Thanksgiving and the new year every year. Yeah. That's our five or six week food orgy. (laughs) 
because we just do. We're celebrating and we're going to parties and we're eating and we're eating things we wouldn't normally eat. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I know we're going to get to some of your tips for navigating the holidays, but I just did a free workshop on navigating those weeks between Thanksgiving and New Year's because I do find that a lot of my clients and just even in casual conversations with family, friends, it is a time many people struggle Mm. um, and kind of end up going off the rails and not feeling their best throughout this amazing holiday season that's supposed to be that's filled with friendship and love and family, right? And then maybe they don't end up feeling their best through that. Yeah. Do you know when when I was young, like the maybe the second weekend in December every year, my mother and I would spend the entire weekend in the kitchen making fudge and various kinds of candies and cakes and pretzels dipped in who knows what. And just we would have these big, huge tins on the sideboard. Mm. And I mean, they weren't little ones. They were they would fit an entire cake in there. Right. And there would be like seven of them. And that was our Christmas candy, cookies, whatever, for the season. And, you know, it's no wonder people gain at least 10 pounds through that that time, right? But that right. was part of the that was part of the holidays. We'd make the candy, we'd make the biscuits or whatever. You know, it was it's just part of how we do holidays. And when you think about it, there's other times in the year when maybe you're baking a cake or baking cookies, but it is kind of the excess, right? In the holiday yeah. season, yeah. like you're saying, there's whole days devoted or whole weekends even to baking, which can be a really fun experience. Um, but then what do you do <laughs> with all that stuff? And then you're going to holiday parties and they've also spent a whole day baking. Mm-hmm. So you're just constantly surrounded by all of these different things. Yeah. On your website, I love how you phrased this. So you say, I figure I lost about 2,000 pounds up and down 5 to 10 pounds here and there to big chunks of 25 to 40 before regaining them to the last time when I finally reached my goal by facing my stuff and overcoming emotional eating. That's just so well said. And so many people, myself included, I think can relate to that, the losing and regaining over Mm. and over. Mm. Can you tell us more about your personal 40-year diet, yo-yo, and emotional eating journey? Sure. When I was 10 years old, I looked around and I saw all these blonde and brunette little girls. Now, I was a redhead and I was kind of stocky. And I thought, they're all cute and they're so thin. So I went home and I was complaining to my mother about this. And she said, well, we can try it. Diet, you're kind of young. I was like, but I don't want to be the fat redhead anymore. <laughs> so mm. we, we, we did this diet. Now, my mother and her mother before her and her mother before her um, had all struggled with their weight. You know, it was a farming, ranching family. You work hard, you play hard, you eat hard. So they didn't, they weren't very good at it. So my mother and I started out on this diet and we did pretty well for two, three weeks maybe. And then, you know, something would come up, like we'd go to the ranch for the weekend or we'd have a a party of some sort or there'd be a birthday, whatever it happened to be. And, you know, that diet was over. And of course, when the diet was over, that meant you could have anything you want, which means you gain the weight back really quickly. Mm-hmm. So when I left home, to go to college, you know, they, 
when I was going to college, it was the freshman 10. I understand that's gone up to the freshman 15 and the, what, the sophomore 20 or something like that? Oh, (laughs) yeah. I haven't heard of the sophomore 20. Definitely the freshman 15. And then I hear people saying now the COVID-19. COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was trying to navigate and I had an idea of what I was supposed to do and I did okay. I mean, I would have a salad every day, right? That's supposed to be helpful. But I figured since I'd had salad, I could have ice cream as well. So this just went on. And after a while, you know, I would I would drop 40 pounds sometimes. Mm-hmm. And just kind of adding it up over 40 years, I thought, yeah, I could have easily lost 2,000 pounds. Mm-hmm. But when I, when I uh, was staring down my 50th birthday... I thought, this is my last chance. Because women over 50, they don't lose weight, right? <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I thought, okay, this this is your year. So New Year's Day 2012, I thought, I'm starting my diet. And I did really well for two weeks, like most New Year's resolutions. And then I thought, no, 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 we're going to do this. So I started again. I started again the 1st of February. I started again the 1st of March. And in April, I was standing in my closet and I reached for a pair of trousers and I couldn't get them buttoned. I thought, oh, okay, well, hmm, let's try these. Nope, that didn't work either. Okay, well, go with a skirt then. The skirt wouldn't fit. So I went to my fat clothes Mm -hmm. and they were tight. And I thought, I have absolutely nothing to wear. And I was mortified I because I was working on it, right? I was trying so hard, except when I wasn't. And I thought, okay, something's got to change. So I put a, a safety pin to hold my waistband together so I could go to work. Mm-hmm. And when I got home that day, I thought, okay, we've got to figure out something different. This is not working. And I got online and I did some research and I ran across this lady who talked about emotional eating. And I suddenly knew, oh, that's what this is. So I bought her, you know, course or $99 course or whatever. And it was nothing new, but it was framed in such a way that really made sense to me. And eventually I ended up hiring her because I do really well with external accountability and the week before my 50th birthday, I hit my goal weight. Wow. That's awesome. Yes. So you did realize, I hear first you went to a book and then you kind of self-awareness, you knew that you would do better with a coach. Um, so that's what ultimately helped you reach your goal. Yes. Because it was accountability. Yeah. You know, it, I knew every couple of weeks when we'd meet, I'd have to tell her what I had been doing. But you know, Brooke, it was interesting. We we talked very little about food. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about self-esteem and responsibility and foods that, that grabbed hold of me and called my name. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I, I saw so much personal growth in those months that we went on to work together for a, a bit longer because it was just so beneficial to take all of that stuff that I had been trying to avoid by stuffing down the food or the feeling and following it with a food chaser Mm -hmm. and just took it apart and put myself back together in a way that works for me, getting rid of those limiting beliefs and the justifications that we make, all of that, and just getting free because she made me face my stuff. 
She wasn't going to let me get by with it. Yeah, I love that. I know you've since developed a helpful acronym, um, HANG, H-A-N-G. Can you explain that and how that can help people kind of have your same path to success? Sure, sure. So I say overcoming emotional eating isn't really hard. You just have to get the hang of it. And the H is hungry. Am I hungry? And if you are, you may well need something to eat. But if you're not, then go to the A. What's the attraction to food? What is it about that food that's calling you? And then the N is, what do I actually need? It's not probably not the food. It's probably, you know, a hug or time with a dog or a walk around the building, something to get the stress off of you. And then G is go. Go get that because that will soothe you more than food ever possibly could. Hmm. I love that. And so simple. Yeah. Simple's best, I always think. <laughs> well, you can remember it, can you? You can, yeah. When you are in the attraction piece and then you're moving to the need and the go, uh, I'm interested in, do you tell yourself you can't have the thing or is it more go do this other thing and then circle back and see if you're still wanting that food? Because I know for a lot of people saying, for example, I can't eat this cookie uh, just makes them crave it more. So Mm -hmm. how, how do you process terminology in terms of a cookie? Let's say if you're really feeling like you crave it, do you use the word can't or off limits or how do you reframe that? No, I don't. Nothing is off limits. Okay. Unless, unless your particular body needs a a particular nutrition plan. Mm -hmm. Like there's some things that I don't do well with. I love them, but they're not good for me. So I avoid them, but you know, it's, it's not, uh, you can't, you're an adult. You get to make these choices. I have a craving buster. If you, if, if it's just a craving you want to get rid of, but what is drawing you to it? And usually there's an emotional component there. Mm-hmm. Um, in my TEDx talk, I tell a story about peanut butter and I, when my mother passed away, I all but crawled into my peanut butter jar. That was just a connection. And I don't know, it just soothed me. So a a few years later, when my grandmother died, and my grandmother and I were tight, and we bonded over peanut butter and chocolate, you know? Um, But what I realized was it wasn't, she's not in that jar. Mm -hmm. But the connection was, it was a tangible awareness of her and how she loved and encouraged me always. And as soon as I figured that out, oh, this is why I'm so drawn to peanut butter. It's her love, her encouragement. Then I could find other ways to get that. But you've got to find what is it? What is the attraction? What's going on? Why does this particular food draw you so? Interesting. Yeah. I remember reading an anecdote one time, I forget where, but a woman would get home from work every day and she'd go into her kitchen and she would just immediately go to the cupboard and she couldn't kind of figure out what was happening. And it turned out there was a planter right outside her front door 
that her sister had given her and her sister had passed away. And it was every time she was passing, she was seeing that planter Mm -hmm. when she was walking in the door. And that was the trigger Mm -hmm. to just fuel, to feed the sad emotion with food. And she just felt out of control until she, she acknowledged that. And I think, you know, both examples really powerful of, it's not necessarily you, you're not weak. It's not that you lack willpower or self-control. It could be something outside of you even, or really deep inside of you that's yeah. causing you to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And it, there's always a reason. Mm. There's always a reason. We just don't necessarily consciously know what it is. Mm-hmm. But once we do, you know, I, it, was, it was interesting. In one of my trainings, um, we were talking about different uh, maladies that people have. And you know how children often get motion sick. And I was one of those. And I was motion sick. People didn't want to ride in a car with me unless I was driving, right? (laughs) (laughs) And someone said, oh, it's usually connected to some childhood trauma. And I was sitting there thinking about this, supposed to be paying attention, but I was off on this, this path. And I realized that when I was like 10 months old, I aspirated on my bottle and I had a very quick trip from our home to the children's hospital. And I thought, well, yeah, that would make you kind of motion sick, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's, and I've never been motion sick again. Wow. There's always a reason. And once we can see it, it's almost like you turn on a light. You, You can't quite find your way through a room that's really dark. You're not sure where the sofa is and where the coffee table are. We turn on the light and it's easy. It's like, oh, I'll walk this path. How do you uncover the reason? I mean, is it just a lot of journaling or questioning? What What's the path to uncovering that? Well, some people can do it on their own. Some people are like, oh, that's that. They, they remember it once you sort of prompt them. Journaling can be helpful. Sometimes, you know, I do some visualization work with people. This is where my counselor helps my coach. Right. Right? Because... Sometimes you just have to crawl into someone's subconscious and help them see what's going on. Yeah. But how empowering to know if someone's listening and they're feeling really out of control when it comes to food, that there is a reason and it can be uncovered. And that's just very hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. And we need some more hope, don't we? Yes. Yes. I know you said for yourself, no foods are off limits. Obviously, like in, unless somebody has an allergy or something like celiac or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I see that also being said in kind of the intuitive eating space. What are your thoughts on those principles in that community? Well, I think intuitive eating can be really useful. Mm-hmm. But it takes healing for a lot of people because you depend on what your body tells you you need. But if you've had a sort of dysfunctional relationship with food for 40 years, like I did, getting to figure out what your body actually needs takes some work and research. Because if I go with what my body needs, I'll go in there and eat a quart of ice cream, (laughs) right? My body can convince me that that's what I need. Mm -hmm. But if you can, if you can let your, your mind and your heart and your body heal enough to be able to do that, it's great. That that's natural, isn't it? But getting to that, that takes a lot of work. Yeah. And I think uh, 
clients who have come to me who have maybe tried the whole intuitive eating thing. It's maybe not doing deeper healing work or working on the mindset piece. And it can be tough if somebody's saying, keep your kitchen stocked with everything. Nothing's off limits. Let yourself gravitate towards what your body feels like it needs. That can almost be more jarring to somebody, make them feel more out of control. Yeah. Um, So I, I agree. I think it's a lot of kind of deeper work that has to go along with that. Yes, indeed. I mean, my my peanut butter jar still lives in the garage, mm-hmm. right? Because I I it, I need those extra steps outside to check myself. So I mean, you have to do what you need to do to or to get the help to heal, because we tend to do things the same way we always have, and wonder why it doesn't change. I think that's a really interesting point you make, though, because you've done a lot of the healing work and you Mm -hmm. still have your peanut butter jar not on the counter. Yeah. So can you speak more to that? Because, I mean, is it best, even when you're doing the emotional healing and kind of overcoming emotional eating, to be aware of food triggers and keep those out, at least have some barriers between them? I think so. I mean, for two years, I just didn't buy peanut butter. Mm. I just didn't buy it because I knew that it was too much of a trigger. Now it can live here, but I let it stay outside. The dog's not very happy with that, but (laughs) (laughs) she doesn't get it as often as she used to, right? But I know that when I get really stressed and um, it's just some things get on top of you, that's when you have to take care. It's like wearing a seatbelt when you're driving in the car. Sometimes Mm. you need to be strapped in because it's only safe for you. Now, most of the time, peanut butter doesn't bother me at all. But on those odd occasions when it gets a little overwhelming, then I have to put on my seatbelt. Yeah, I really, that's a great analogy. Are you familiar with the author, James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits? Yes. Yeah, that book is him. right next to me here. Uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> I, I'm obsessed with it. I always quote him, but he has a similar idea of how when you create a disciplined environment for yourself, whatever that looks like for you, then it allows you to be less disciplined and freer kind of in your home space. And mm-hmm. so I think that's a really good point to bring up because also... With this whole intuitive eating push and anti-diet culture, you know, there is a lot, I see a lot of messages on social media saying, keep all the things around all the time, and then you'll become kind of desensitized to them and you won't want them anymore. And, you know, I feel like I have a very healthy relationship with food at this point, and I've done a lot of the work myself, but I still intentionally make the choice not to keep my freezer fully stocked with all of the ice creams or to bring in all of the quote unquote junk foods into the house. And it's Mm -hmm. not that those things are forbidden or off limits. For me, it's just, I choose to enjoy those treats when I'm outside of my home. If I'm at a local ice cream shop that has the most delicious looking scoop, or if I'm at a beach vacation, I'll get a scoop of ice cream. And so I don't feel deprived but I also just feel kind of in a better space if it's not mm-hmm. all around me all the time. Yeah, I often say, you know, if there's some food that you just have a hard time with, don't bring it into the house. Yeah. But if you really, really want it, 
There are places that will keep it for you and they'll keep it fresh. And they even call it a store. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But it's that idea of having a bit of a barrier, right? Yes. That thing. And you can go to the store and get it for sure. Um, Well, even, even if, okay, so there's a craving, right? mm -hmm. And you just really, really want it. And what I tell my clients is, okay, if you just can't say no, then set your table, placemat, tablecloth, an actual plate or bowl, glassware, maybe even a candle, Mm. knife and fork, spoon, whatever. Sit down at your table, turn off the TV and enjoy that food. Squeeze every bit of flavor out of every bite. If you're going to give your craving this the, the this much honor, then give the food the same honor. Don't eat it over the trash can or hiding in the pantry. Right. And if it is something that's going to bring you a lot of satisfaction, then like you said, squeeze every last ounce of satisfaction not just eating it as you're walking from the kitchen to the bedroom yeah. without a thought. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, most of that kind of overeating comes when we're just not paying attention. Yeah. And what I always say is, if you're going to eat on autopilot, then you may as well be eating celery because you'll enjoy it just as much. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Yeah. No, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, off air, you were mentioning a really cool tangible trick with an alarm system that you set up on your phone. Can you share that with the audience? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So we have these smartphones that have alarms and you can change the label from alarm to something else. And I started changing, setting myself several alarms that go off throughout the day. And I, I make the label something that I need to learn or hear or just get in my mind. So they go off every day right? Mm. And those alarms, even if your phone is on silent or do not disturb, they still go off. And you have to kind of look at the phone to turn them off because that and the timer where they, you know, delay or whatever, stop, they're in opposite places. So you have to pay attention, right? Otherwise it'll go off in nine more minutes. So I started doing this uh, and I was rather cynical at the time, but I I thought, okay, I'm going to try this. And the first couple of months, I would look at the alarm and I would say, oh, yeah, that's whatever. But after a couple of months, I started seeing these phrases and I thought, oh, oh, that's getting in there now. And it has been a terrific tool to change the way I think about things Hmm. and to keep myself encouraged. Wow. I love that. Does that work with your clients as well? Do you have them do that? Yes. Yes. And they, they, they hated it first, but then they come to love it. (laughs) Yeah. Just got to be careful if you're on a podcast interview or in a meeting or something, right? Yes. Yes. It'll go off. (laughs) Always. You know, if you're, you're in a seminar and all of a sudden your phone starts making a lot of noise, like, oh crumbs, I forgot to, you have to turn the phone all the way off to get it to stop. Oh, right. Okay. Good, good uh, word of (laughs) the word to the wise there. If you try that. But I love that. I'm also wondering, do you have any uh, client success stories that you like to share in terms of somebody kind of overcoming their emotional eating and things that have worked for them? Sure, sure. So I had this one lady and, you know, this one food always kind of tripped her up. So we worked on what that food meant to her 
and unwound it. And then one day she was she was sharing some real tender kinds of stuff. And we talked about that particular food and that moment of simply letting that feeling be there, not trying to stuff it down and follow it with the food chaser, but simply letting it be. Mm-hmm. And the next week she came back, she said, that's it. That's what I needed. And that was two years ago and she's still doing great. Wow. Uh, that just kind of brought up an idea for me. I know some of the clients I work with eat maybe because they're feeling very anxious. Mm-hmm. So the idea of kind of sitting with that feeling of anxiety might mm-hmm. be kind of scary. What do you what do you advise for somebody who's eating out of these anxious feelings? Well, the food's not what you want. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to recognize that. What you want is soothing. And there is this whole thing about oral soothing. Again, we learned that from birth. But it is important to just sort of acknowledge what you're feeling Take a deep breath and let it be there because anything, a child, a feeling, when it's acknowledged, the the strength of it goes. Mm. Right. I talk to, um, I tell people about feelings being like a river and the river flows and you can put your toes in it. You can sit and watch it. You can get in and swim in it. You can skip rocks across it. And it continues to flow. Unless you trap it. You put a like a dam. And when water doesn't go in or come out, then it loses a lot of its ability to be oxygenated. You can stir it a bit, but it, it becomes really putrid. Mm. But as long as you let those feelings flow, feelings... Thoughts and feelings will pass through our minds in about 90 seconds as long as we don't trap them. Mm. But if it's trapped, again, it's going to become putrid. All it needs is to be released and it will regain oxygen and air and it will rejoin the river and keep going. But we've got to allow the feeling to be there and not react to it. Just let it be there. And it will release if you don't trap it. I know sometimes people will advise um, go on a walk or call a friend or things like that. Do you advise sort of external distractions like that? Or do do you really advise to just sit and be with the feeling and not distract yourself using some other thing that's not food? Well, it kind of depends, doesn't okay. it? Do you, is it something that needs to be released? And if so... Sitting with it, letting it, let it, it'll only last 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. You can do anything for 90 seconds except a plank. Planks are hard to do for 90 yeah, seconds, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you could work up to it, right? Yeah. But if you, if you can just face it, face your stuff so you don't have to stuff your face, mm. then it'll be gone. Now, There are times when, sure, a walk, because you just need to let that energy move, right? Mm -hmm. You need to do something to get that off of you. You know, I I do some of my work in a hospital and, you know, some of the cases are are kind of um, difficult. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I walk out of the hospital, I physically shake my entire body like, get this off of me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm 
Sometimes we need a physical representation of letting go. But many times we just need to say, okay, this is what I feel. Take a deep breath and just let it be. It will be gone. It will be gone. And if we trust that, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's over. (sighs) Then go take your walk. Okay. Okay. Um, We briefly mentioned at the beginning all of the treats coming up these next weeks. It's currently (laughs) as we're recording this the week before Thanksgiving, but then your episode is coming out right in the height of the holiday season, the week before Christmas. Um, So I would love if you could share, I know you have seven tips for navigating the holidays and I think Mm -hmm. now's the time to share those. Let's hear (laughs) how to get through this holiday season. Okay. So if there is a table or buffet, do a reconnaissance round of what's available. You know, there may be some things that just mean something to you about a particular holiday, whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas or summer barbecue, right? Put a serving of that on your plate first and then fill in with anything else that you think you want because you get to decide in advance of what you truly want. Second thing, eat only what you like and chew like you mean it. Because if you love this food, then take the time to enjoy it and savor the flavors. Third, if you slow down enough to enjoy it, then evaluate the flavors. Do you still love it as much as you did? Or is it a memory of how it tastes that really affected you? Fourth, there will be foods that are not on your plan. So choose for yourself. Can you taste them without creating a binge? And if not, you may be wise to set up some safeguards for yourself. And if if yes, then have it, but don't take it home with you. It's one day and no beating up on yourself allowed. It's part of the celebration. Five, focus on conversations and interactions. I mean, the, the food becomes a, a thing around holidays, but that's not the reason we gather. We gather to spend time with meat, with people who mean something to us. Food is just part of the trimmings, right? Mm-hmm. But focus on what's important. And then gratitude is a terrific practice. Because if you eat for comfort or stress relief, then another way to soothe yourself is by focusing on all those people, situations, and experiences for which you are grateful because it alters our perspective and usually shifts our stress and fills that need for comfort. Hmm. Seventh, accountability and support. Know what you need. Create a structure of support for yourself because Reaching physical and emotional health goals doesn't happen without making changes. What do you need in order to make those changes and make them stick? Set set up yourself some support. Great. I love those. Those are awesome. When you were talking about chewing like you mean it, I like that a lot. (laughs) Slowing down and really tasting the flavors. Mm -hmm. I think I remember, I read this somewhere, but let me know if you've heard this as well. Is it true that it's usually about three bites where you get the most satisfaction and then after that? Okay. Can you explain a little more about that? Yeah. Your taste buds get overwhelmed. Mm. 
and you taste the first three bites of anything. And after that, you're just continuing to eat. Mm-hmm. So if there's something that you really want, take three bites of it, mm-hmm. three bites of anything, and you'll get the most benefit. And if you only have three bites, you're likely to take the time to truly enjoy it. You know, Oprah told this story once about going to France and she got two croissants mm-hmm. because she knew she would swallow the first one whole and she bought the second one to enjoy it. And oh, we all do that in different ways, but if we actually slow down and enjoy the first one, then we don't need the second one. And the, the thing about tasting food, um, as I told you, my grandmother and I love chocolate and peanut butter, particularly together. And uh, Easter a couple of years ago, I bought two of those fun size bags of Reese's peanut butter cups, one for me and one for my husband. Mm-hmm. Easter Sunday afternoon, I'm sitting down and I've cut my my cup. Because, you know, those those shapes, like the pumpkins and the Easter eggs, they have just the right chocolate peanut butter ratio. They sure do. Yeah. So <laughs> I cut mine into like six pieces. Mm. And I thought, I'm going to taste it this time. And I put a bite in my mouth and I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And the second one, I thought, oh, man, I used to love these. And I gave my bag to my husband and I've never had another. Oh, because wow. it, it wasn't the actual flavor. It was my memory about the flavor that I was tasting. But you don't know that unless you slow down. Yeah. I think that's so important. Um, I have a client who we I do a lot of work with clients on kind of worth it foods to you, figure out mm-hmm. what those are, and then save up for those things, delay gratification for those things and be sure, slow down and be sure that the thing you're eating is actually worth it when you're in the moment. And she had this aha experience when she was at a Starbucks one day, she thought croissants were really worth it. And so she got to the Starbucks and she thought, oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to actually have this croissant with my coffee. And she sat down and she had the first couple bites and just realized it was probably a week old croissant, really stale Mm. and ended up throwing it out and just said, you know, in the past I would have eaten this and I would have just thought I love croissants, all croissants. And she realized I don't love all croissants, right? I love the fresh flaky buttery ones specifically in Paris, like you mentioned, but (laughs) you know, the, the freshest of the fresh. So let me save up, let me throw this one away now and let me save up for that one when it comes along, whenever that may be. Um, but I, I love that idea of just slowing down. I mean, that alone could be the takeaway from this, or as you said, serving an indulgence or treat on a plate and actually sitting and enjoying, um, can make such a huge difference. Well, and it takes the shame out of it, doesn't it? Right. It yeah. takes the responsibility. You're you're being responsible. You're being the adult. You're enjoying it. Therefore, it's okay. Mm. You don't yeah. have to beat yourself up for it because you um, hid it. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. We've talked, obviously, a lot about emotional eating and different tactics. Do you find that this is something everybody struggles with, or is it just kind of a select number of people who struggle with emotional eating? Well, I think everyone can have emotional attachments mm. to, to, to anything. You know, some people do video games, right? Or uh, classic cars or whatever. 
I think it, it becomes the, the problem when it gets between you and your goal, when it becomes more important than your goal. When you say food is so important to me that I will sabotage my health for it. Mm. So it kind of depends on the person. My husband keeps telling me, no, men call it stress eating. Okay. Men can call it stress eating. Stress is an emotion. You realize that, right? <laughs> call it whatever you want. Same thing here. <laughs> that's so funny. But I mean, um, that's a that's sort of the the same path that alcoholics go, isn't it? Yeah. Is that alcohol becomes so important to them that they'll risk everything for it, and we risk our health when we overeat because we're looking for something that we can't get from the food itself. Mm-hmm. One of the final questions I ask all guests is based on the title of the podcast and it's in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? I think it means being, making good choices that benefit your health the most rather than just benefiting what you want in this moment. Mm. Yeah. The long-term approach, keeping yeah. not just the, what is it? The few inches view, take the, the long road, the mile, the mile view. Yeah. Mile there's, high view. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there's obviously a lot of therapists and health coaches out there, but your approach is super unique. I'd love for you to share a bit more about your business and how you differ from other coaches and where people can find you. Sure. Well, they can find me at packyourownbag.com and I, um, I'm on, you know, Instagram and Facebook all under that, but you know, most people think it's a diet and it's more than a diet. It's about changing your thoughts working through your feelings and the issues that drive you to the food for comfort or stress relief. It's about changing habits and decisions and the way we make choices. It's about building your sense of your own value and what that means to you, how you respect yourself enough to choose what is best long-term than rather than what you want right now. It's about Finding, I have this three-pronged approach. It's about finding what works best for your body. It's about letting go of emotional baggage. It's about being, reconnecting with your best self. Because I don't know about you, Brooke, but when I'm in my best self, I make much better choices. Right. I love that. And I'm sure you speak about that in your book as well. Yes. Is that available on Amazon? Yes, Amazon around the world. I sold a book in Japan the other day. I thought, wow, Japan. Cool. That's exciting. Yeah, how fun. (laughs) I'll definitely share links to all of your social platforms. And I know I just, I could listen to you forever. Do people tell you that? You have such a beautiful voice. Yeah, it's the depth and gentleness. (laughs) It really is. I know you're recording your book soon. Um, and now I want to buy the audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just genetically blessed, I guess. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here, Renee. Truly appreciate all of the tips you've shared with myself and my audience. And I look forward to staying connected and buying your audiobook. Well, thanks for having me. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. 
I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.